book of Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. I preached this message one time in a church, and uh, I, I said, turn to Genesis 37. And later on, the pastor said to me, can you really find missions in Genesis chapter 37? Well, the book is about Jesus. And Jesus is about saving the world, and saving the world is what missions is. Genesis chapter 37, I want to begin reading at the fifth verse. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word to give it honor and respect? I work with primitive people who don't understand the importance of this book, and so I have them stand to give them reverence to God's word. Genesis chapter 37, the title of my message this evening is A Dream of a Mission to Reach the World with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Dream of a Mission to Reach the World with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 37, beginning at the fifth verse. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? And shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed the dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said, And what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, our hearts are full. Just bubbling over, father, with your goodness for what we have received throughout the day and especially tonight. I stand here, father, with praise and thanksgiving in my heart for your goodness, your presence upon it with us, your provision, your power, for those souls that were saved and others who came forward praying for their faith promise. Now, Father, we have opened your word once again. I understand the importance of the moment. And I understand that it's so important that I need to get out of the way. I know that I'm feeble. I know that I'm handicapped. I know that I can't do anything without you. But with you, all things are possible. I'm asking, Father, that you breathe upon your word with a breath from heaven, that you ignite it with the fires of the Holy Ghost, and that we just don't go through the motions, but do it because of our love and our passion for Christ. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. The dream of a mission to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I speak of dreams, I am talking about the hopes the goals, the aspirations, and visions of one's innermost desires. If you know anything about the life of Joseph and the person of Joseph, Joseph is a type of Christ. He is rejected by his brethren. He is falsely accused. He is delivered to prison. He's left for dead, and he became the savior of his known world. Don't lose your place in Genesis chapter 37, but I want you to go towards the end of the book, the Genesis chapter 50 very quickly. And I want you to look at verse 20. And when we get to Genesis chapter 50, we know that uh, 
that Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers, they are afraid that he might uh, get retribution and vengeance upon them for what he did to them. And I want you to see what he says in the 20th verse. But he says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, and is this this day to save much people alive. So Joseph, being a type of Christ, was his savior to his known world. Webster defines a dream like this, a strongly desired goal or purpose. My, the first mission agency that I was with was Baptist Missions to Forgotten Peoples out of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and we just felt that ministries to the gypsies and the forgotten peoples was a good marriage. I stayed with them for 25 years until I established my own agency. The president and founder of Baptist Missions to Forgotten Peoples was a man by the name of Dr. Garland Powell. I think you remember him, Pastor. Dr. Garland Powell was my hero and my cheerleader all wrapped up. And one matter of fact, he challenged me to write my autobiography. We were so close that as he uh, got up at age and his health began to fail, he kept telling me, Brother Walter, wherever you're at in the world, I want you to preach my memorial when I pass. And I thought, Brother Bushy, it was just the ramblings of an old man, but he kept saying it, and he kept saying it. And I said, listen, Dr. Powell, I can't be the only one who knows that I'm supposed to preach your memorial. You need to tell your wife, you need to tell the current president of Baptist Mission, and you need to tell your pastor. And so he did, and, and we were in Hungary, of course, in ministry, and Dr. Powell went home to be with Jesus, and I got the phone call from the family, and they flew us from Hungary to Jacksonville when I, where I preached his memorial. I wanted to preach a, his memorial from one of his Bibles. And so I called his wife, Annalia, in the morning, and I said, Annalia, I says, I want one of Dr. Powell's Bibles. I want to preach his memorial from his Bible. And Annalia said, Brother Stevens, uh, Dr. Powell has one of his Bibles in, the hands, in his hands in the coffin. Just walk down to the coffin and take it out of his hands. I said, Annalia, I can't do that. And so Annalia gave me one of Dr. Powell's Bibles, since she also gave me Dr. Powell's founder's ring. It's only a 10-carat ring, preacher, but it's his founder's and his president's ring. He established Baptist Missions to Forgotten Peoples the same year I was saved, 1980. And so it means a lot to me. But Dr. Powell was a dreamer. He was a visionary. As a matter of fact, his dreams sometimes would be on the margins of fanaticism. But many mission agents now have taken his pattern, and our mission board is following his pattern. He has a vision. He had a vision of reaching pocket peoples all over the world. And those pockets of people fell into three categories. First, he called them social pockets. That would be peoples who are on the fringe of society, street people, homeless, prostitutes, drug addicts, on and on and on. The prisons, the jail system would be a part of that. He had a vision of, of, of reaching transplanted, transplanted people groups, reaching ethnic groups that are in our computer. Just think about all the mission fields of different languages that are all around us today. In New Albany, there were so many different ethnic groups there. And Brother Kyle Sheridan translated for me, by the way, and he did a wonderful job. Uh, there's two things that I approach when I use a translator. Number one, convince your translator. Because if he doesn't know what you're saying, he's not going to be. And number two, say it with such enthusiasm that the audience can't wait to hear what the translator has to say. And the third pocket of people was professional pockets. And that would be American military. And Baptist Mission still today is strong on reaching American military in foreign lands. Dr. Martin Luther King 
We celebrate him this month. He had a dream for his people. He is quoted as saying, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but judged by the content of their character. I really don't believe that Dr. King ever thought that there would be an African-American president of the United States of America. There's my dream, my dream of reaching my people, the gypsy people around the world. There once was a dream called America. Don't doubt my patriotism. I love this nation. I think I might have said it last night. It's the greatest nation in all the world in all its imperfection. It doesn't get better, any better than the U.S. of A., but the American dream for many has turned into the American nightmare. In our Declaration of Independence, we read, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And some would take out the word pursuit and say that happiness is guaranteed in the Declaration of Independence. Happiness and blessings are only found in the person of Jesus Christ. You know my testimony, my goal to be a millionaire, and all that I had and all that I did was absolutely vain and nothing and void until the person of Jesus came into my life and changed me dramatically and brought true blessing and happiness. But the dream that I'm talking about tonight is the dream, the vision, and hope of the world's cry, evangelism, to hear about Jesus. You know, Pastor, one of the things that bothers me as a missionary is that sometimes I think the mindset of the local churches that we're getting the job done. We put up our flags, and rightfully so. We sing our mission songs, and rightfully so. We take up the faith promise, and rightfully so. We bring in the keynote speaker, and he brings us a mission child, and rightfully so. And so we think, well, we must be getting the job done. I played with numbers. I used to be in the business world. I know you can manipulate statistics. But let's just take the numbers that are being projected about worldwide evangelism, that two-thirds, eight billion people, two-thirds of the world's population has never once heard a clear-cut presentation of the gospel. Maybe it's not two-thirds. Maybe it's half. Maybe it's one-third. Whatever the case, listen to me, church, we're really not getting the job done, and that's why we have missions conference, and that's why we bring the missionaries in, that's why we sing the songs, that's why we put up the flags, that's why we give the challenge, so that we can understand that there is a job that needs to be done for the cause of Christ. And to do it with passion, and to do it with sincerity, and to give it our best. Christ finished his redemptive work of the cross, so that the dream can be fulfilled. That's why he said, from the cross, it is finished. There's nothing that we need to add to the story of Christ, but he has placed us in the church to be the facilitators of his dream, of his hope, and of his vision of the lost being saved. But there are a variety of responses to this dream by the members of the body of Christ. And I'm using Joseph's life to see some of those responses. And I hope that you'll find yourself somewhere in these passages of Scripture. Number one, there needs to be a dream caster. That's Joseph. 
says in verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream. He's casting the dream to his own family. Well, after I got saved, I was the first of the tribe of gypsy called the Rishtishti tribe. The Rishtishti tribe is a very large tribe in America. Matter of fact, many of the fortune tellers that you see in Illinois and Indiana, especially around here, is my tribe of gypsies, the Johns family. And we're all related. Their great-grandfather and my great-grandfather were brothers. And uh, I'm, a, I'm of the large tribe. My late wife, Dolly, is, was of another tribe called the Gurkuria, which is a very large tribe of gypsies. Well, this means the Greek gypsies, their families came from Greece. We were the first two of our tribes to be saved in 1980. And to become a Christian amongst the gypsy community back then, you might as well have been a man from Mars. And uh, uh, especially when we took a chainsaw to the fortune-telling side. Our families ostracized us. You say, what was the big deal about that? What the American flag is to you and I, the gypsy fortune-telling sign is to the average gypsy. It's a symbol of their identity. And so they thought, Brother Bushy, that we were leaving the culture. And so they put us under a magnifying glass to watch us. Would we survive? And God blessed, and we did. And I answered the call to ministry, was trained. And when my girls' skirts were getting longer... Their girls', girls the skirts were getting shorter. The stability of our home. Do you know that you have to gain a man's ear before you gain his heart? The gospel enters here. And then our families began to lend us their ears. And I led my father to Christ. I led my brother to Christ. I led my two sisters to Christ. My mom was the toughest one because she was a very successful fortune teller. She knew what it was going to cost her. But I led my mom to Christ. My in-laws drove 300 miles from northeast Ohio to southwest Ohio to come to convince us to get back into fortune-telling because it was a shame to them that their daughter was no longer a fortune-teller. I was a baby Christian. And here comes my mother-in-law and father-in-law, my father-in-law, patriarch of the culture. And so he's not going to convince us to go back to fortune-telling, but I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And as they came into our home in the winter... I sat them down on a sofa with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, I don't remember, and I presented the gospel to them in the gypsy language. My mother-in-law was saved. My father-in-law was saved. My two brother-in-laws were saved. My sister-in-law called me on the phone one time, weeping on the phone, saying, Brother Walter, Brother Walter, Walter, uh, what is this salvation? Weeping on the phone. And I led her to Christ on the telephone preacher. And I'm here to proclaim to you that all of my family, all of my family but one uncle. And I prayed for him right there when preacher, preacher challenged us to pray. All of my family is under the blood. All of my late wife's family is under the blood. Are they at the spiritual maturity that we'd like them to be? No. Do they all go to the right churches that we would like them to go to? No. Are they all great Bible students like we would like them? No. But they're going to be in heaven. A dream. To reach our people, to be a dream caster. Joseph was the dream caster in our story. Later in the life of Joseph, Pharaoh catches the dream and casts the dream. Today in the church, it's local church leadership who cast the dream of missions and worldwide evangelism. In Acts chapter 16, where you get your theme for the world's cry, on that ship was the Apostle Paul, and there were some men with him, and the Apostle Paul had, had a bursting desire within his heart to take the gospel to the regions beyond. If he didn't preach Jesus, he would die, and if preachers don't preach Jesus, they should die. And so he feels led to go to Asia. 
But somehow, some way, the Spirit tells him, no, it's not Asia. Then he says, okay, Bithynia. Somehow, some way, the Spirit tells him, no, it's not Bithynia. Why, didn't Asia and Bithynia deserve the gospel? Sure they did. It's just not where God wanted the Apostle Paul. A young man approached me at the table yesterday talking about going into missions, and he said, what would you have to say to me? And here's what I said. It's not about, it's not about geography. It's not about a place. It's about a people. Amen. And so Paul was going to a place. And God didn't. So what did God do? He brought a person to him in a vision. There appeared to Paul a vision night. A man of Macedonia stood before him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Now there was a group of men on that ship. We're talking about casting a vision here. There was a group of men on that ship. Dr. Luke was there, we know. Watch now. Luke writes in the book of Acts that after, here's how it says, after he had seen the vision. This means say amen. So it's a singular vision. He. After he had seen the vision. Watch what Luke says now. We. You catching this? After he had seen the vision, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel. And watch now. The singular vision became plural because of the man of God casting the dream. And Luke was a dream catcher. Caught the dream. Now, we independent Baptists, if, if, if we were on that ship and Paul said Asia and then changed his mind and then said Bithynia and he changed his mind, we as independent, we, we jump ship. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. But they knew the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Only Paul could describe the Macedonian. Only Paul could tell you the color of his hair the quiver in his voice, the tear in his eye. Only Paul. But the vision became plural. As a young Christian sitting in the pews of the Crossroad Baptist Church in New Carlisle, Ohio, Dr. Larry M. Spencer, was he as tall as you? Six foot seven inches tall. I literally looked up to him. And he would stand behind the pulpit and he would say, I'm just a young Christian sitting out there. And he'd say, we need to go into New Carlisle. Or we need to go into Medway. We need to go into Park Lane. We need to go to Springfield. And I'd sit there and say to myself, preacher, I don't care about New Carlisle. I don't care about Medway. I don't care about Park Lane. I don't care about Springfield. But preacher, I care about you. And because you said we need to go, I'm going to go. And you know my philosophy. I said it last night. When you can't see... Hang on to somebody who can see until you get your vision. The dream caster cast the vision. The dream caster cast the vision of worldwide event. And the purpose of the revelation of the dream then in Joseph's day and now is the same. It is for the benefit of others to save the people. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 we already read to save much people alive. If you want to go there go. Genesis chapter 45 verse 7. Watch what it says. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. The dream is being cast here. These missionaries are casting their dreams for their prospective fields. Our brother who was ordained is casting the dream for his perspective healed. So number one, there's the dream caster. But then it goes without saying, 
If there's a dream caster, there needs to be a dream catcher. Someone who catches the dream. In our story, it was the butler who first caught the dream. Genesis chapter 41, verses 9 through 12. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me inward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night. I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us a young man, an Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream he interpreted. There the butler is catching the dream. He's casting it before Pharaoh. Usually the dream is caught by one person. Then it was Pharaoh and eventually all of Egypt and all the world because dream casters become dream casters. And lastly, it was even the family of Joseph. When Paul saw the vision of the Macedonian, there was, a present, there was present on that ship a group of dream casters. Our first ministry was in 1990 at the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. At that time, Dr. Roy Thompson was the pastor. And if you know anything about Pastor Thompson, he was a mover and a shaker in the independent Baptist movement. As a young missionary with 13 months of deputation and three-quarters of my support. We left Southwest Ohio, moved to, New, uh, to Northeast Ohio, and I met with Doc Thompson. I said, Doc Thompson, you've got gypsies right here in your community. God's called me to reach him. He handed me a set of keys and said, go at it. And after 34 years, God has blessed that ministry. We've seen three men answer the call to ministry out of that work. One of the men is a man by the name of Lawrence Evans. He now has a gypsy ministry in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Roy Thompson was out of the Akron Baptist Temple. His pastor was Dallas Billington. And Dr. Thompson went, left uh, Akron and went up to Cleveland and started meeting with a family in a home. It was the Folger family. And there in that room was a little boy by the name of Kevin Folger. And Doc Thompson was casting the vision of reaching Cuyahoga County. And little Kevin caught it. And after Doc Thompson retired, Kevin Folger became the pastor of the Cleveland Baptist Church. He had a son named Pete, and Pete caught the vision. Now he's the pastor of Cleveland Baptist Church. My dream of casting the vision of reaching gypsies uh, was caught by the Evans, the Feketas, the Ivanoviches, and even our son, Mike. Here's the question during missions conference. Have you caught the dream that's being cast? And there's a third point that I really wish wasn't in this message. First, there's the dream caster. Second, it goes without saying that there's a dream catcher. But sadly, there are dream corruptors. There are those who say, Preacher, I, I, I don't care about this faith promise thing. I don't care about these missionaries. I'm not going to take their cards. I'm not going to pray for them. I'm just going through the motions, but I really don't care. You know what you're doing? You're corrupting dreams. I heard a that's right someplace over there. Dream corruptors. I remember when I answered the call to preach, I led my dad to Christ. His discipleship was very slow, if he ever really matured as his faith. And dad didn't have a problem with me becoming a Christian. He even got over with us coming out of fortune telling and me getting out of the carnival business. But dad did not want me to be a Baptist preacher. I still don't know why to today. And at my ordination... Dad came, we had no center, center aisle in the church, and he, he said about 
oh, three or four rows in front of the pulpit. And so after I was questioned by the, uh, by the ordination council, Dad heard me answer questions of theology that I don't think he knew I knew. And uh, he was impressed by that, I think. And at, just before the preachers laid their hands on me, Dad stood up. It was out of order. And he said, Dr. Spencer, can I say something? And just out of respect, Pastor Spencer said, yes, Mr. Stevens, you can. We didn't know what Dad was going to say. He had been trying to corrupt my dream. But here's what he said. Preacher, after what I've seen here today, I want Walter to know, I want you to know, and I want the church to know that I'm 100% behind Walter. You know, that's what ordination is about, isn't it? It's about letting everybody know the call of God that's upon a man's life. There are those who corrupt some dreams. Maybe you're a grandma and grandpa, and you're corrupting the dream of your grandchildren. Maybe you're a mom and dad who doesn't want your child to go off into foreign missions. You want them to be safe. You want them to be protected. Well, let me just remind you, mom, dad, grandpa, that the safest place for your child and grandchild is smack dab in the perfect center of God's will. And if they're on the peripheral or on the margins of that will, they're in danger. And you know what mom and dads need to do? Hands off. I've got news for you. They're not your kids anyway. Children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And maybe we need moms and dads and grandma and grandpas who bring their juniors and their, and their sissies to the altar and say, God, hands off. I'm not saying they're going to the foreign field. I'm just saying you need to take hands off. I think Pastor might have mentioned it. I don't know, or maybe I heard it in another conference. But we don't see young men and young women answering the call, preacher. We just don't see young men surrendering. We see part-time missions. We see survey trips. But we don't see a lot of young men and women answering the call. Now, you want to know why I think that is? Because we don't have Hannahs and Elkanahs who bring their Samuels to God and say, hands off, do what you want. Maybe tonight we need moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas who stop being dream corruptors. In our text, it was Joseph's brothers they hated the dreamer, and they hated his dreams. Verse 5, Joseph dreamed the dream, and he told his brother, and they hated him yet the more. I believe there are several reasons why there are those who would try to corrupt someone's dream, and here's just a short list. Number one, they're jealous of the dreamer. That's the problem here. Number two, the dream did not originate with them, and it goes with number three, that if the dream comes to pass, they will not be able to take any credit or any glory. How about this one? They have too much pride to humble themselves before the dreamer, that was Jacob's problem. Number five, to follow the dream will cost them something. They're not willing to pay nor willing to give, i.e., the faith promise card. And number six, they just don't care. The main culprit of, the, of corrupting dreams is none other than Satan himself. He's the thief who cometh but for to kill, to steal, to destroy. I'm here to proclaim to you to dream on. Dream big. Why? Because we have an Ephesians 3.20 God who says that, that uh, he, he wants to do exceedingly, 
abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Watch that according to the power that worketh in us. Do you know what power that is? That's resurrection power. That's empty tomb power. That's Holy Ghost power. And the charismatics don't have a corner on it if they have it at all. I didn't put Ephesians 3.20 in the Bible. God did. He wants to do exceedingly. I want exceedingly. He wants to do abundantly. I want abundantly. He wants to do more than we can ask or think. That's why I pray big. That's why I think big. Because God's going to do more. Dream. It was William Carey who said at a Baptist gathering, he's known as the father of modern missions, He's quoted as saying, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Do you expect great things? I meet them all the time. Preachers who just don't expect, preacher. They don't expect things to happen. I preach in conferences and I preach in churches and I thank God for them. They're wonderful men, but they don't expect any activity at the altar. Our God is a God of action. For God so loved the world that he did absolutely nothing. Huh? God so loved the world that he gave. God is a God of action. And when his word is preached and when his truth is proclaimed, he expects action, and therefore I expect action. I meet him. I meet him. You meet him, Bushy. Discouraged missionaries. When we went to Eastern Europe, it was right after the fall of communism. Missionaries and you guys, this church was sending a lot of missionaries to Eastern Europe. We heard about them fighting over tracts and fighting over Bibles. The, the post-communist era had ended. And so Americans were running over there, and they, they thought they were going to build First Baptist of Hammond. But they got there, Brother Bush, and you know what they found out? That those who had just come out of communism would have fought over any piece of paper. Propaganda was illegal. You couldn't speak publicly. And I'm not saying there weren't those who really took the tracks and really got saved. And really, there were some, but I meet a lot of missionaries in Eastern Europe that are running 10, 14 people, and they're very discouraged. And you know what I say to them? Hey, take a look over here at the gypsies. Yeah, they're a tough crowd. I know that. I know that. They're open to the gospel. They'll get saved. Discipleship is different, mostly because of illiteracy. You can't grow without the word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And men like Pete Heisey, men like Tim Fink, Bruce White and Jim White in Germany are now working with the Sinti gypsies in Germany because I just said, take a look over here. I meet them all the time. Dream. Dream big. Dream for God. And then lastly, number four. First, there needs to be a dream caster. There needs to be a dream catcher. Sad to say they're dream corruptors. If that's you, come and ask God to forgive you. And then lastly, there needs to be dream carriers. Someone asked me recently, Pastor, who's going to take my place? I turned 69 People ask me, how old are you, Brother Stevens? I said, oh, I'm 68, but I'm 80 in mileage. Hello. Somebody said, where do you live, Brother Stevens? Out of the trunk of my car. Who's going to carry the dream of Roma? My pastor says, and I mean, it may not be really original with him, 
But he says there is no success without a successor. We need dream carriers. Thank God that God has someone at First Baptist Hammond to carry on the dream. Thank God that there are those who carry the dream, the hope of the dreamer and his dream has to be carried into the promised land, if you will, or into the future, because the true dreamer dreams until his last breath. I'm not going to have you turn there, but we come to Hebrews chapter 11. We call that chapter the what? The faith chapter, hall of faith. In verse 22, it says this, by faith, Joseph. That's what we're talking about here. When he died, or as he was dying, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now we know that Joseph was a prophet. Here's what Joseph is saying to the Jewish people. You're going to leave here. You're not going to stay here in Egypt. God has made a promise to you. He's promised to you a special land. And you are going to be a chosen people to be used by God. And when you leave, don't leave the dreamer here. Carry the dream with you into the future or into the promised land. There needs to be dream carriers. Amen. Now that's, that's the New Testament mention of Joseph about his bones. But in Genesis chapter 50, you're in Genesis. If you want to go there, go ahead. It's in my outline. We'll see the original, the first time that Joseph made the Jewish people take an oath. It says in verse 25, and Joseph took an oath. Tell me what that means, took an oath. He made him promise. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, watch now, he's a prophet. Verse 25, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The word coffin in Genesis 50, verse 26, every time that original word is used in the Bible, it's used to describe the Ark of the Covenant. Only in this one verse is it translated as the word coffin. And here's the root meaning of the word. You ready? Say, we're ready, preacher. Here's the, here's the meaning of the word. It's a treasure chest or a hope chest. How many remember when we used to make hope chests for our daughters and our grand? You all remember that? Put up your hand if you remember that. You just gave away your age. That was a long time. My mom, preacher had two hope chests for my sisters that were both older than me, Mary and Liz. And there was so much stuff in there that you couldn't get it in the chest anymore. Dishes and silverware and blankets and quilts and pillows and on and on and on. You couldn't get it in the hope chest anymore. And it was, it was being prepared for their life as wives, as, their, as mothers. And watch now, it was a hope chest. Watch now, this coffin that the dreamer was put in was a chest of hope. A hope chest carrying what? The hope of the dreamer of the promised land and the coming of the Messiah. And Joseph is saying, don't leave me here. Someone has to carry on the dream of the dreamer and the hope of God to save the multitudes. Now, we saw two places in the Bible 
where it's mentioned of carrying Joseph's bones. Now, I don't want anybody to leave here tonight and say, man, that Brother Stevens, he made a big deal about Joseph's bones. It's not about the bones. It's about the dream. Hello, the bones only symbolize the dream. If you want to go with me into the book of Exodus chapter 13, can most of you tell me what's going on in the book of Exodus chapter 13? They're exiting. They're leaving Egypt. It's a busy night. Many, uh, the firstborn being killed and the plagues fulfilled. And in verse 19, I want you to look with me. Exodus 13, verse 19. Would you give me the first five words? And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Hey, listen, this is 400 years after Joseph made them promise. Joseph is saying, don't leave me here. He's the dream caster. Watch now. Moses is the dream catcher, but he becomes the dream carrier. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that Joseph took on the complete lifestyle and persona of an Egyptian. Amen? He married an Egyptian woman. When his brothers came to see him, they didn't recognize him because he looked like an Egyptian, and he spoke to them in the Egyptian language, had to use a translator. So I believe his burial was very, very elaborate. I don't believe he was buried in a pine box. I believe he was buried in a sarcophagus, an elaborate sarcophagus like the Egyptians were. So all that's going on for Moses is the exodus. They, they can't put leaven in the bread. They can't wait for it to rise because they're in a hurry. They've spoiled the Egyptians. they got to get out of Egypt. Pharaohs are going to come after them. And watch now. One of the things on Moses' list was, hey, i got to get the bones of Joseph. And it's not an easy job. And he takes Joseph's bones, and he takes the bones of Joseph through the Red Sea. You know how many years they carried those bones around in the wilderness? Forty years. You tell me it's not a big deal. If God says something once, it's important. If he says it twice, you better really listen. If he says it three times, hello, he's talking to us. What's it about? It's about carrying on the dream. The dream of First Baptist Hammond. The dream of missions, of all these missionaries that are here, they have a dream. They have a vision. They need dream carriers. Three times. But there's another time. It's the last time that Joseph Bosons are mentioned. Joshua 24, verse 32. Moses, of course, a dream carrier in Exodus, but during the wilderness, the 40 years, he became a dream caster. And a young man by the name of Joshua, the son of Nun, caught the dream. And he caught the dream, and he became a dream carrier. And in Genesis chapter 24, verse 32, look what it says. Genesis 24, verse 32. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, watch now, buried them in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became, watch now, the inheritance of the children of Joseph. In other words, the dream and the dreamer and his burial site becomes a point of reference for future dreamers. Do we have future dreamers here? We have someone who's willing to carry the dream 
You say, Brother Stevens, I, I don't have what it takes. You've heard this phrase, I'm sure, many times. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. You heard me say it last night. My, one of my favorite missions pastors, preachers, Dr. Charles Keene, said, not every man is called to preach, but every man should wrestle with the possibility. Amen. That means you should be at this altar tonight, men, wrestling with the possibility. You say, I don't have what it takes. Sixth grade education? Really? I'm living proof that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. If God can use Walter Stevens, then he can use anyone. To surrender to be a dream carrier. To raise up dream carriers like Hannah. To present your children to be dream carriers. To pray for dream carriers. Maybe you're here today and your dream has been taken from you. This, give me some, let me give you some illustrations of not necessarily a spiritual sin, but men who were destined to fail but ended up being great men of success. Michael Jordan was cut from his first high school basketball Albert Einstein didn't speak until he was four years old, and his teacher said he wouldn't amount to much. That's Albert Einstein. Dr. Seuss's first book was rejected by 27 publishers. Abraham Lincoln failed in business and had a nervous breakdown and was defeated in eight elections before he became president of the United States. One day, little Tommy Edison came home from school. The teacher sent a note on him, folded note. And the teacher said, Tommy, you give this note to your mama, Mrs. Edison. Don't want you to read it. So little Tommy Edison comes home. He says, Mama, the teacher has sent this note. It's only for you to read. Mrs. Edison opens the note with Tommy looking up at her, tears flowing down her face. Little Tommy says, Mama, what does the note say? And she says, oh, Tommy, the note says that the teachers think you're just too smart for the school and that they can't teach you. And they want me to teach you here at home. And Mrs. Edison became Thomas Edison's teacher. In his later years, I believe somewhere in his 80s, Thomas Edison was cleaning out an old family desk. When he pulled out the drawer, back in the corner was that little folded note. He opened it up, and the note didn't say what Mrs. Edison told him it said. It said, Mrs. Edison, your son is addled, means he's not all there. You keep him home, and you teach him. And Thomas Edison became, I don't have to tell you, the greatest inventor of all time. What's your story? What's your story? Dreamcaster? Dreamcatcher? Dream corrupter? And will you be a dream carrier? The way you fill out that faith promise card will determine of whether you believe the dream needs to be carried. The dream is world evangelism into the future and into the promised land. Heads about and eyes closed.